My name is Dean Proctor, and welcome to today's episode of the What Is This? podcast. In late 2019, I came into possession of several thousand 45 RPM records from the 1950s to 1980s. In excitedly pulling them from the boxes to examine them, and having been a music fan for my whole life, many of these artists and their records were familiar to me. At other times, though, I found myself, after putting one on a record player, asking, what is this? This podcast, focusing on rare records and odd audio from my own collection, complete with their pops, crackles, and Q-burn intact, is an attempt to answer that question. What is this? I remember reading bedtime stories to my daughters when they were little. And, you know, depending on the book, sometimes I would ask myself, how did this thing ever get published? How many authors didn't get their works published, but this one did? Well, in this episode of the What Is This podcast, I'm going to take that same logic and apply it to some 45s from my collection. Because for all of the struggling songwriters and singers around the world that strive to eke out a, some kind of a living, for all the singers and their songs that got turned away over and over again by record companies, the mystery of today's episode is how did these records get recorded? How did they get released? How did they ever get airplay? And why did they chart so unbelievably well? This episode is, I think, the first where every single song included could be a standalone What Is This episode, because there's some real oddities in this list. But let's jump in with the record that sent me down the rabbit hole on this particular topic. It's one from 1970. It was written by Mike Hazelwood and Albert Hammond. Now, when you think about Albert Hammond, you might think of this song from 1972. Seems it That was a number two song in both Canada and the U.S. for Albert Hammond. But a couple of years before that release, he was responsible for our first song in today's episode. Now, that song was released under the artist name The Pipkins. It was actually Roger Greenaway and Tony Burroughs. Now, Tony Burroughs was a singer who had actually fronted a number of different groups, and sometimes simultaneously. He sang with Edison Lighthouse, The Flowerpot Men, White Plains, The First Class, and The Brotherhood of Man. But Gimme That Ding, released on the Capitol label, serial number 2819, was a number six song on the UK singles charts, and it hit number seven in Canada, number nine in the US. 
And contrary to the rumors around that song, no, it's not Wolfman Jack on the record. But seriously, what is this? In 1971, a man named Dick Monda was recording music for an animated TV show called The Groovy Ghoulies. And one of the songs that he wrote in that process was, well, this one. That one was released on the Sunflower record label under the artist name Daddy Dewdrop. And it was produced, and if you want to call it singing, I guess you can, by Dick Monda himself. A top 10 record in the US and number two in Canada. Don't you just love it? Well, that same year, 1971, Kent Lavoie started releasing music under the stage name Lobo. And the debut single from his debut album peaked at number five on the Billboard Hot 100. It was the first of four of his songs to hit number one on the easy listening charts. It was a number four song in the UK in July 1971, and it spent four weeks at number one in New Zealand. Lobo is big in New Zealand. Uh, it's the story of uh, three travelers journeying together and sharing adventures. Now admit it, you were singing along, weren't you? Well, disaster movies were a big thing in the 1970s. And in 1972, a movie was released about a cruise ship hit by a giant rogue wave and then flipped over. That ship was called the Poseidon. The movie was the Poseidon Adventure. But here's my problem with this next song. It was on the soundtrack, actually uh, used twice in the movie, including during the end credits, when, okay, spoiler alert here, there's a few people who navigate the upside-down ship, they get out and they're rescued, okay, that's how it ends. It's full of action, adventure, it's disaster, it's intrigue, and it all culminates at the end of the movie with this. There's got to be a morning after We're moving closer to Come on, man. That's Maureen McGovern, and the song is called The Morning After, also known as the song from the Poseidon Adventure. It won a 1972 Academy Award for Best Original Song, a number one hit in the U.S. for two weeks in 1973, and Billboard ranked it as the number 28 song of that entire year. And then there was 1974. 1974, depending on how you look at it, was either the high point for bad music or the low point for good music. So many songs that beg the question, what is this? 
were released in 1974. Here are a few. Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with Carl Douglas put that one out on the Pie label in 1974. It went to the top of the British, Australian, Canadian, and American charts. And it eventually went on to sell 11 million records worldwide. That makes Kung Fu Fighting one of the best-selling singles of all time. Well, that same year, and on the same label, singer Johnny Wakelin and the Kinshasa Band released an ode to boxer Muhammad Ali that reached number seven in the singles charts in both the UK and in Australia. Sing Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, he floats like a butterfly, stings like a Black Superman spent six months on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. It eventually peaked at number 21 in September of 1974. But the weirdness continued that year. There was a band called Paper Lace. They had a song, a story about a fictional shootout between the Chicago police and members of Al Capone's gang. I heard my mama cry. I heard her pray the night Chicago died. Brother, what a night it really was. Brother, what a fight it really was. Glory be. I heard my mama cry. I heard her pray the night Chicago died. Brother, what a night the people saw. Brother, what a fight the people saw. Now, despite being, well, geographically dubious, because technically the east side of Chicago is Lake Michigan. But anyway, the song reached number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart for one week in 1974 and reached number two here in Canada. But the year 1974 wasn't done with us yet. Nothing more than feelings. Yeah, okay, that's enough of that. That's Morris Albert. It sold a million. Feelings was a top 10 song, but that's about all of it I'm going to take. So let's keep moving. In the early 1970s, there was a Canadian singer who took an English language adaptation of a Belgian singer-songwriter song, lyrics written by an American singer-poet, and recorded a version of it. It's like the United Nations all wrapped into one song. It was intended to be recorded by the Beach Boys, but they abandoned it before it was completed. And in 1974, Terry Jacks, formerly of the Poppy family, decided that he would finish it. And he got a worldwide hit for his effort. Yeah, we had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in the sun. But the hills that we climbed were just seasons out of time. Goodbye, Papa, please pray for me. 
I was the black sheep of the family You tried to teach me right from wrong Too much wine and too much song Wonder how I got along Goodbye, Papa, it's hard to die In Canada, Seasons in the Sun came out on the Goldfish Records label, serial number 101. Well, you can call these next two novelty records, you can call them odes to cultural fads, but these songs from 1974 were hit songs, whatever you call them. The first one spent three weeks at the top in May of 1974, and it reached number three on the Billboard Hot Country Singles I hollered over to Ethel, I said, Don't look, Ethel! And it's too late, she'd already been in the singles. Boogie there, boogie there. There you go. Boogie there, boogie there. And he ain't wearing no clothes. Oh, yes, they call him the street. Boogie there, boogie there. Fastest thing on two feet. Boogie there, boogie there. He's just as proud as he can be. His anatomy, he gonna give us a peek. Oh, yes, they call him the street. That's Ray Stevens. And that sold over 5 million copies internationally. And Billboard ranks that song as the 8th most popular record in 1974. Quite a year. But if streaking wasn't your thing, how about CB radios? It was the dark of the moon on the 6th of June in a Kenworth pulling logs. Cab over Pete with a reefer on and a Jimmy hauling hogs. We is heading for Bear on I-10, about a mile out of Shaky Town. I says, Pig Pen, this here's a rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down. In 1975, C.W. McCall, a a fake character co-created and voiced by writer and producer Bill Fries, took that record a number one song on both the country and pop charts in the U.S. It went to number one in Canada, too. I guess that's another proud moment for we here in the Great White North. Good buddy. Well, the 1970s gave the world some great music, too. Queen, The Eagles, Elton John, Billy Joel, so many more. But man... It also offered the world some real noise pollution, too. Hey, is there an artist that you felt should have been included in this episode about the bad songs of the 1970s? You'll notice I left out disco entirely. Well, drop an email. Maybe we'll revisit the topic down the road and include your suggestions. Until then, thanks for listening. What Is This is a podcast focusing on rare records and odd audio from my own collection of 45 RPM records. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with your own social media circles and encouraging others to subscribe. If you have any questions or comments about today's episode, or any episode for that matter, email me at deanproctor at gmail.com. That's Dean with an E. And until next time, thanks for listening.